Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. Take your Bible open to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. We are working through this theme of getting into the game, and uh, you're not going to have any slides this morning. We, uh, as a staff, had a fun week, um, and the day that I normally get all that stuff together, we were in a meeting all day, a strategy meeting with uh, a friend of mine walking us through um, a vision process, and you'll be hearing more about that in the coming days. Um, and so uh, you're just going to have to listen and try to catch them, and if you're just desperate for them, then you can come and uh, find me at the back at my table for the ministry fair, and I'll, I'll give them to you for a price. <laughs> I'll hold them for ransom. I'll try to make it clear for you so that you can, if you're taking notes, that you'll, you'll hear what's going on. But this morning, I want to talk about the love of the game. And the greatest of athletes, friends, have always gone to great lengths to position themselves for excellence and for greatness, physically, mentally, uh, and emotionally. They are um, in tune. I think when I say that, I think of guys like Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, Jerry Rice. Those are all people of my generation, although Tiger's still playing a little bit, barely. Uh, he's still way better than me, uh, better than I'll ever dream of being. Um, but, you know, it used to, it, Walter Payton, for some of you, would ring a bell from the 80s. Uh, and his, uh, and, and what was his nickname? Sweetness or something like that, right? And then, of course, my generation, it was guys like Barry Sanders and Emmett Smith who finally tuned their bodies uh, with, along with Jerry Rice and other athletes, Michael Jordan. But there was just no competitor like Michael Jordan. Uh, I've, I, every now and then, there's a, a documentary on uh, ESPN, one of those channels. Uh, maybe it's NBA uh, channel where they show the story of the 1992 uh, Dream Team. That was the first time that they had used professional athletes, NBA athletes, in Olympic competition. And there was a game, uh, I wasn't aware of it back then, being a, a kid not paying attention to these things. Um, I just knew I wanted to be like Mike. But they, uh, they put up, uh, they put the, the professionals, this is Jordan and Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, all of these guys, they put them up against these college seniors who were getting ready to come into the NBA. And the first time they played and scrimmaged in, in practice, it was a real setup, real game, referees, the whole works. The college players beat these stud NBA players. And Jordan had a team meeting afterwards. And they were, they were a little bit frustrated because as the story goes, the coach did it on purpose. He didn't make any subs. He didn't play Jordan much at all in that game. And Jordan knew it. He knew what was happening. He was able to see what was happening. And they all say Chuck Daly did this on purpose. And then they put a guy like Jordan in the next game. And the college players didn't even stand a chance. It woke those guys up to say, we are the greatest in the world and we're not playing up to our level. And when I, when I look at the story of this woman that comes to the house at Bethany where Jesus is reclining at the table with his disciples, I find someone who loved Jesus as much as Jordan loved the game. I find a, a woman who loved Jesus as much as Tiger Woods loves the game of golf. I find a woman who came and gave everything she had to Jesus because she loved him that much. 
and she gave everything for him. It is what drives these great athletes to do what they do, literally at times totally expending every ounce of their physical, mental, and emotional well-being in order to win the game. And it is that game or the love of the game that drives them. But what would drive this woman to do what she did and give such an extravagant offering and anointing to Jesus? Friends, loving Jesus like that and then loving Jesus and following Jesus will take you on a journey in this life that is absolutely costly. And sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's mental, sometimes it's emotional, but it's always spiritual. True followers of Jesus do not and will not hesitate to cherish, worship, and honor him with great love and great devotion and great sacrifice. It is a journey that is lasts a lifetime. So this morning as we look at Mark chapter 14, I want to encourage you. As we see here, as I've already read at the beginning of the service, this is what I read, so I'm not going to read it again, but we see because of her love and devotion to Jesus, she gave him everything she, everything she had to her Lord, everything she had to Jesus. So in other words, she was prioritizing Jesus above all the other, even her own well-being, because what she offered was her future. What she offered was a nest egg that was going to be there in case of emergency, And she gave beautifully, she gave extravagantly, she gave sacrificially to Jesus because of her love for him, no doubt because of the way he changed her life. So let us pray together as we continue work into the scripture. Our Father, you alone know our hearts this morning, and it is my prayer that as you have brought us to this text of the gospel of Mark chapter 14, that you would so work in us to make us more like Jesus, that as we give our time, our talents, and our treasure and that roots would grow deep into Jesus, and that Coastal Oaks Church would give in order to grow out for your glory. Lord, what, you, what we do not know this morning, I pray that you would teach us, and where we are lacking and need nourishment to grow in Christ-likeness, that you would cultivate us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I, wanted, I want you to look at the setting working into Mark chapter 14. Mark gave us a fantastic gospel. It's the shortest of the four, but it's still an amazing work. In chapter 12, Jesus warned of the scribes and the Pharisees of their teachings. These guys were hypocrites, he would call them, in Matthew's gospel. He would also give us the great commandment to love God above all everything else with all that we are, and then we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Uh-oh. Tax season is coming. I see in chapter 12 that we are to pay taxes to Caesar, right? Oh, bummer. Okay, well, we can't ever get past that one every year. I keep thinking maybe we can, but it's there. The Sadducees have a discussion about the resurrection, and that's important because it's coming, whether they like it or not. At the end of chapter 12, as Jesus warns them of the, the scribes and the Pharisees in their teaching, and he says, watch out, be aware of these guys. You need to pay attention to what they're saying, but what they're saying is not true. That's why you need to pay attention. They're out to devour a widow's houses. He goes right into the end of chapter 12, talking about the widow's offering. And he sat down and he watches the people as they come into the temple, into the temple treasury, where there's, there's these huge uh, uh, vats and collection pots, And you've got those who have means coming in and dropping in their 10% or their tithe. But then what catches his eye at verse 42, a poor widow comes in with two small copper coins. Not very much. 
And he calls over his disciples to them as they are no doubt watching and saying, wow, did you hear how loud that was? That must have been at least a thousand. Wow, that's amazing. Wow, they must must really love God. And he says to them, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing it to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And just in case you were wondering, chapter 13, well, Jesus again focuses on the end, the destruction of the temple, the end of the age that will come, and how no one knows when he's coming. And then chapter 14. In chapter 14, in a rather dark way, Mark is telling us about the plot of the Sanhedrin. That's the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. They're all in there together in this court of religious authorities. They have great power and authority in in Jerusalem. And they're plotting to kill Jesus, to have him executed. It was the time of the Passover, which should have been a a, a national celebration. It was a a time of national uh, uproar, uh, not uproar, but excitement, kind of like our July 4th celebration, Independence Day. We, We feel a strong sense of patriotism on that day. Why is that day important? It's because it reminded them of the time when God would deliver them from slavery in Egypt and eventually bring them into the promised land. But that one night, that Passover, that night where God's presence passed over Israel, and took the firstborn of Egypt, that night was commemorated and still is to this day. And what should have been a time of celebration, a time of remembrance, comes this dark moment to kill the Lamb of God. Actually quite important there because it was a lamb and a lamb's blood that was to be put on the doorpost in Egypt. And when God saw the blood, he passed over the house. In the same way, Jesus is our Passover lamb, his blood for our sins. And in all of that darkness that's painted there is the plot to come up against Jesus and take his life stands verses three through nine. It's like a ray of light, a ray of hope. Where this woman who John tells us his name, her name is Mary, this woman named Mary committed to and following Jesus shatters the social norms and the assumptions of the disciples as they recline with Jesus at the table. You see, Jesus had been teaching him, these guys for three years now, teaching them the values of the kingdom of God and the calling of the kingdom of God and the the high cost of living in the kingdom of God and following Jesus as their Messiah. From day one, he said that he would change their life and radically transform them when he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But he would also say things, turning their assumptions and their thoughts completely upside down, taking their common held beliefs and radically transforming them. He would say things like, the the first shall be last and the last shall be first. In Mark chapter 10, verses 43 and following, it says, but it, it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. You understand that's like saying to Tiger Woods, one of the greatest golfers, well, the greatest of his generation, or Jack Nicholas or Arnold Palmer, for some of you that would relate to that generation. It's like saying, "Uh, sir, welcome to the Masters, but you're not playing this year. You're going to caddy. It's like saying to Dale Earnhardt or Jeff Gordon or one of these other NASCAR guys, sir, you're not going to drive today. You're going to change tires in the pit. 
You're not gonna be the greatest, but you're gonna take the place of a servant. It doesn't, it, it, it completely, radically transforms the way of thinking. And I say that Jesus is turning everything upside down. Really what he's doing is turning it right side up because we're the ones that have it skewed and wrong. But these Jesus guys, these Jesus guys, they, they're a bit slow at times following Jesus and picking up what Jesus is laying down. And so in chapter 12, Jesus says, and he, as he points them to this widow who gave out of her poverty everything she had, she put in more than all the others who gave out of their abundance, right? It's a percentage thing there. If you give 10% of 1,000, it's 100, but if you only have 100 and you give 100, you gave 100%. Because it's about the sacrifice. It's not about the amount. It's about her heart, not about the clanging sound of the coins hitting into the offering box. And it says something of your love and devotion to Jesus. She was committed. And what Mary does in Mark chapter 14 and John and, and the other gospels, what Mary does shows her love and her commitment to follow Jesus. Now, as Jesus left the temple in Mark chapter 12, it's very interesting because we do this too. The disciples start talking about the building. Go back and look. He's talking about money. He's talking about their heart. He's talking about this widow who gave all that she had to live on. They walk out the doors. He came out of the temple. One of his disciples said, Lord, let's talk about a building program. What about these stones, these wonderful stones and these wonderful buildings? All right? When Jesus starts talking about our heart issues, we tend to change the subject. And there is nothing more, I don't know about if contentious is the word, but stressful to talk about at times than giving and tithing. Ain't nobody want to hear it. See, I told you, if we came today to visit this church, they're going to be talking about giving. That preacher just wants money. Well, you picked the right Sunday. <laughs> Let's go play the lottery together. <laughs> but we get a little nervous when Jesus starts talking about heart issues. If you haven't noticed, if you go look at your checking account or your bank account, it's going to show you where your heart is. But friends, when we look at chapter 14, there is a courageous devotion on display around that table. As Mark tells us, Jesus was in Bethany just outside of Jerusalem in the house of Simon the leper. We don't really know who Simon the leper is. Most would say, uh, and many believe, that he was healed by Jesus, otherwise they wouldn't be there. But most likely he was healed by Jesus and invited him over to his home. Some have connected him to Mary and Martha and Lazarus being their father. But that's beside the point at, at this moment because we want to focus on her. And suddenly in that narrative, she approaches the table. Now, the social norm in that day would have been that she would have been carrying food. It was the only way for a woman to approach the table where men were reclining she didn't come and insert herself in their conversation. She wasn't to come and plop down next to him and say, hey, dudes, what's up? What are y'all talking about? Oh, yeah, I saw that. Wow, that's right. Let me give you my opinion. It just wasn't done. It just wasn't the social, the social norm back then. But she comes in and courageously anoints Jesus in this way. It's not a big deal for us, but it was a huge deal for these guys. And no doubt it took the disciples by surprise. And she put herself in the spotlight. 
And in doing so, she put Jesus in the spotlight. From John's account, again, we see her name is Mary, and as she approaches the table, perhaps one or two of the men and disciples around the table noticed that she was carrying something. It wasn't a great big flask. Most say probably about 12 ounces. But it was made of alabaster, which certainly would have been costly, not counting what was inside of it. But in that jar, that flask, it contained an expensive, costly oil, perfume. Spikenard, or nard, it's a funny name. But we know the cost because in John's account, he points to the fact that it's Judas that says it. Mark doesn't tell us, but he says that several of them had this thought. They tell us it was worth 300 denarii. That's about a year's wage. Think about how much you make in a year or how much you draw from your retirement in a year. Calculate that expense. That's how much it cost. And she wouldn't have had that money. Women didn't work and, and, and make that kind of income. Again, it just wasn't part of their social, their social norm. But I don't think Mary is coming into this place to make a show for herself, to say, look at me, look at what I'm doing. But you know, sometimes when people are doing extraordinary things for Jesus, we tend to point the finger at them and criticize, just like the guys around the table. Judging hearts, saying they're doing it for show. And that really honestly kind of shows where our heart is. I don't think that's what Mary's doing in this moment. She's not doing it for show. And what you actually read about her is that she was not bothered by social norms. <laughs> At one point in the story of Mary and Martha, you'll remember Martha's up serving back and forth as was the custom. And where's Mary? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him teach. Not customary. But Jesus says she's doing the right thing. And so she breaks these norms in order to honor Jesus. So no one around that table, nor no one today, no one today could, could we ever question her courageous devotion or her loyalty to Jesus? Because it was on full display for those around the table. Can the same be said of you? Can the same be said of us as a church? Is our love and devotion to Jesus on courageous display for the world to see? Are we willing to go the distance so the aroma of the gospel is picked up by the world around us. Then we have courageous devotion is costly. Courageous devotion was on display. Now courageous devotion we see is costly. Being all in and getting into the game of following Jesus, you need to hear this, is absolutely costly. I cannot sugarcoat it for you. I cannot say come to Jesus and everything's okay. Because life's going to be hard. He's the one, just like we sang a while ago, the good shepherd, he's the one that's walking with us through the valley of the shadow of death. You need to expect that there will be cost when you follow Jesus. Especially when we follow him wholeheartedly. Because wholeheartedly following Jesus necessarily means that you have counted the cost. And as he leads you, you sacrifice your future, your hopes, your destiny, even your security for the sake of, and the glory of Jesus Christ. This oil, this nard fragrance, this perfume as they state in the text is worth that much. 300 denarii. A year's worth of wages. Poured out on Jesus. Mary will never be able to use it again. It was totally spent. 
When I say you must count the cost, I mean you must count the cost. What does it cost to follow Jesus? We have to understand that when we pour ourselves out, it will never be used again. Matthew chapter 10, verse 38 and following, Jesus says this, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Mark chapter eight, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? I wonder if Mary had that in her mind when she brought in that jar of alabaster with nard oil and perfume in it. I wonder if she thought to herself, I remember him teaching us, what would it profit me and my family if we gain the whole world and a hundred more jars and flasks of this nard oil and never follow Jesus. I wonder if she counted the cost. Every gospel records this truth. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. It's costly to follow Jesus and you need to calculate the cost and, the check, and check the level of devotion that is on display in your life versus what you claim to have. This woman put her future, her destiny, her security, her hopes, and she gave it to Jesus as an act of courageous devotion and humble devotion and anointed him. Friends, that's huge. Because most people say she would not have had any kind of income to afford what she did. Perhaps it was an heirloom, the nest egg, the safety net. And she gave it anyway. Friends, when you're courageously devoted to Jesus, you're, all, you're gonna be criticized. Courageous devotion is often criticized. You see around the table, these disciples who had been with Jesus quickly offer their two cents on the situation. I really think, quoting the Casting Crown song that came out last year, that these guys must have been quoting from the scripture found in the book of Second Opinions. Verse four, why was this oil, this perfume, wasted like that. Why was it wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. John tells us that's Judas. But the other disciples at least were thinking what he said out loud. R.C. Sproul said this, according to the Greek text, they were not just annoyed or irked, but their irritation rose to the level of fury when they witnessed this episode. He goes on to describe 
that word at the end of uh, at the end of verse five. And they scolded her. And the fury and what is captured in that word. He goes on to describe it. Uh, and so in imagery that maybe we can understand, you've seen the bullfighter with the red cape. And as he's taunting the bull, the bull starts pawing at the ground or hoofing at the ground. I don't know. What do they do? Do they paw? I don't know. Anyway. But he's angry. He's getting, the tension's building up and the nostrils flare. You remember, you've seen your parents like that. The nostrils flare. You've seen that, but they're, they're furious in this moment. Perfume that cost a year's wage could have done so much for the poor. Could have done so much for the ministry. Perfume that cost a year's wage could never be confused with an ordinary moment. And if any of you men have ever purchased your wife perfume that took your whole salary for a year, I want to talk to you about giving to the church, okay? But that jar represented her fallback plan, if you will. Some today collect gold and silver or precious metals to hedge against inflation and the stock market and all these other things. You hear these commercials, gold and silver have never been worth nothing. So we have this moment to remember, to see. These men question the moment, question the action, question Mary's motives. Why would you waste it like this? I mean, it would have been one thing if she had come in and measured it and calculated it. Okay, one drop for his head, one drop for his feet. That didn't cost too much. And accomplished the anointing. Or a couple of drops, so one, two, three, or maybe even up to five or six or maybe ten. It wouldn't be empty. But she broke the whole thing. She went all in following Jesus. Not only did they criticize what she did, but on their, there's another side to their criticism. Why did you waste it like that? Who is the object of the anointing? Jesus. And he tells them, she has anointed my body for burial. What she has done, whether she knew what she was doing or not, she wanted to honor Jesus. And what she had done was anoint him and prepare his body for burial. For that was coming quickly. In a roundabout way, they are stating that what she did, that Jesus was not worth what she did. Why did you waste it like that? Not believing that he was worth that kind of extravagant love displayed by this risk that Mary took. Well, Judas had calculated the cost of Jesus. Judas determined he was worth 30 pieces of silver. Friends, when you are courageously committed and devoted to Jesus, people ain't going to get it. They ain't going to get it. They're not going to follow. They're not going to pick up what you're trying to lay down when you share Jesus with them and when you're living your life for him. I remember once vividly in a deacon's meeting, I had introduced the concept because a friend of mine had asked us, hey, would your church come along with us and partner with us to go on mission, to go reach lost students and kids in Germany? I remember in the church I was serving in, I had a deacon who brought it up in deacon's meeting. He said, Pastor, I'm not supporting you to go because you're only going on vacation. People ain't going to get it. And that's just to Germany. People aren't going to get it when you're trying to follow through and, and lead and follow Jesus to go reach the lost. 
People will question why you were sold out to him. Most of the time, they're doing that because they're only moderately committed to Jesus or nominally committed or they're chinos, Christian in name only. So they hurl criticism at you. And it's better to do practical good works instead of spending time with Jesus. Coastal Oaks Church, friends, cannot afford to be half-heartedly committed to Jesus. We must be all in and get into the game of following Jesus. I don't like that name game because it's not a game, it's a way of life. But it's a call to be deeply rooted in Jesus and in the gospel. And then, as we're nourished and cultivated by his presence, we begin to grow out. Mary was closer to it than the other disciples were at that moment. Not all the disciples were there yet. Judas wouldn't ever get there. But the other 11 would. And we are here today because they did. Because they went all in when they saw Jesus after the resurrection and the Holy Spirit came. Courageously, they would follow him through dangers, toils, and snares by God's grace. But sadly today, in our churches, there are too many nominal Christians or Christians in name only who have little problem with moderate or calculated measured devotion to Christ. My favorite is, I'll give you one Sunday a month. I don't understand that. Here's the question for all of us. What is in your alabaster jar? What is in your heart? You see, because this story reveals where our hearts are. For Mary, her moment here with Jesus was purposed by honoring him with this oil. His mission, his purpose, led him to die for her sins and that of Judas and the other disciples. And your sins, transforming her, transforming them, transforming you. Judas's purpose was to line his pockets. She broke her jar. Judas wanted to break into the money bag. Friend, heed the warning here for us all that if you approach the church, if you approach worship, if you approach giving and serving and living on mission, on any level of devotion to Jesus like that of Judas, you are in serious trouble. Serious trouble. It would be like getting pulled out to sea by the riptide off the beaches of Mustang Island. Friend, today, hear me. If you don't break that jar, it will break you. It will. What did Christ do? Paul says in Corinthians, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He ain't talking about your pocketbook. He's talking about your life and following Jesus and that courageous devotion. It takes time, and it is time to get into the game of following him. I ask you, what's in your jar that you're willing to break for the honor of Jesus? Time? We lack a significant amount of time and commitment at times to the gospel ministry here at Coastal Oaks Church. And the Lord is leading us as a staff and me as your pastor to work to correct that, to offer training and equipping so that you see that you have the time. How about your talents? By this, I don't necessarily mean the God-given talents that you possess, such as singing or playing, but rather the spiritual giftedness that you possess that as a follower of Jesus, he has put in you to serve the church and to serve him. Are you breaking that jar each day and pouring out yourself 
to honor the Lord? What about your treasure? Friends, we are the richest nation in the history of mankind. And yet the church is struggling mightily. God has blessed us with resources and the scripture calls the church to be faithful tithers and givers, not to our pet projects, but to just give to the ministry of the church. Because we as a church, you as a church have control. Did you know that? We vote on the budget every year. We have a budgeting process. You get to say where it goes. You elect people, you elect committee members that work every month to watch the offerings and the tithes to make sure that they are handled correctly, that they are handled above reproach and that it goes where the church has said it is supposed to go. Sometimes that call is above and beyond the 10%. You know, well, the tithing isn't in the New Testament. Well, you're right. Except when Jesus talks about the Pharisees tithing. They were tithers. He never says to stop tithing. We like to say, well, it's not there, so I don't have to do it. I'll just give, right? But he never says to stop. Above and beyond is often what is called for. This is a huge call that we approach our money, our possessions. We can either approach it like Mary or we can approach it like Judas. Which one do you want to be? There's a huge difference. And I'm not asking you to give your entire year's worth salary. That would be silly, although it'd be awesome. We could do some really amazing things here. But I'm asking you to check the measure of your trust in the Lord's plan for his church. Because there is no plan B. It's the church. And I want to ask you to check the measure of your trust in the Lord's plan for his church by what you're giving. I'm not talking about an amount, but I'm talking about the heart behind it. Always, with me, you will hear me say, it's about your heart when you're giving, not about the amount. Friends, if we approach the church, God's plan, with no plan B, we will give our time, our talents, we will break out that alabaster jar and, and, and bless the Lord and honor him with our time, with our, our gifts, our spiritual giftedness, and what he has provided for us as solid, good, godly stewards. So let us not do it with cold hearts, tight fists, and hard heads. But let us open ourselves to Jesus and see in Mary's devotion to Jesus, friends, that aroma lingered in that room. It lingered. It was a pleasing aroma. The aroma reminded them of the great lengths and cost that Mary had just gone through as she poured out and anointed Jesus for burial. A burial that he would go to and went through with because he died on the cross for our sins. And I would ask that you would break that bottle of your heart and pour out in devotion to him your life, our life, my life, the life of Coastal Oaks Church will all bear the fragrance of his salvation, the spreading of the gospel wherever we go, and that we'd be rooted in Christ and growing out. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus. Amen.